Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I am sorry there are no more Shields gift cards this morning, okay? Sorry. Maybe some other day, though. I've come to this conclusion. God expects greatness from you. From all of you. Uh, God expects greatness. I began thinking about uh, this picture of greatness that God expects from us, and and I came up with some pictures of, of what this might look like. Greatness, the, the kind of greatness that God expects from all of us in the roles that we play is something like when you were a child. If you are a child, it's like what your parents will still say to you. If you're about to go to someone else's house, maybe for the first time or the second time, what will your parents inevitably say before you leave? Be on your best behavior. You see, because your parents expect greatness out of you, that when you have left their home, you better be good because there's something about the role that you play as a part of your family, that if you go and you don't perform well, it's going to reflect poorly on mom and dad, and you better be great. If you don't like green beans and they put green beans in front of you, you better eat them because greatness is expected from you. It might be, uh, if you're an athlete, the kind of greatness that is expected of you from a coach to a player. Let's say it's baseball season and it's the bottom of the ninth of nine innings. The bases are loaded. Two outs, and there is a 3-1 count, which means that there are three balls and one strike. You only need two runs to win. The chances are he, he might throw another ball your direction. But you also know that on 3-1 count, you're going to get a pitch to hit. Because he's going to have to throw it right down the middle, and you're going to have an opportunity uh, to do something with that 3-1 pitch. The question is whether or not the coach lets you swing away. So you step out of the batter's box for a moment, and you look over at your coach, and he gives you this, which means swing away. This is your pitch to do whatever you wish. But you know the moment that he points the finger in your direction, greatness is expected. He's trusting you in the role that he's asked you to play uh, to do whatever you need to do with that pitch to do great things. It's the kind of greatness that is expected when the boss is out of town and there's a big client, a big meeting coming up at work, and they put you in charge. Uh, they're off on vacation, uh, but they have said, hey, I trust you to be in charge of what's going to happen over the next week. And when that client, uh, when that particular big meeting comes up, I want you in charge. And you know that greatness is expected. And God expects no less. 
You see, we all have a role to play in this kingdom that we talk about, that, that we bring in with us. We have a role to play, and God expects greatness from you. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. You see, we have been in this series now for several weeks, Great Reversal, as we have gone through the Gospel of Luke, and and we have become accustomed to expecting the unexpected from Jesus. Uh, We've become accustomed to being surprised and shocked by by what Jesus tells us, and and this morning, uh, I'm going to suggest to you that we're going to be surprised and maybe a little shocked about what Jesus says about greatness. I mean, Jesus is on the cusp of being crucified. He's with his disciples. He's having dinner with them. He's kind of like trying to finalize all the plans for when he's not around anymore because he knows that when he's not around anymore, he is going to have to entrust the kingdom of God on earth to these 12 men. And he's trying to prepare them for the kind of greatness that he is expecting. And quite frankly, uh, the the text is trying to prepare us for the same sort of role. You see, God has taken uh, every bit as much risk with us as he did with those disciples. And he's asking us to fulfill a role of greatness. And you kind of know what the disciples are expecting, don't you? Uh, The kind of role that the the disciples are expecting is a kingdom like some of us would like to build here on earth. You see, they've heard this talk about Jesus talking about kings and kingdoms, and something has been lost in translation. They've been around Jesus, but they haven't really heard Him. And they're thinking, the kingdom. Oh, I can't wait for the kingdom. I mean, some of us, right, we lay in our beds at night and we dream about the kingdom. And this is what the disciples have done. They're just like you and me. They have laid in bed thinking about the kingdom. What would it bring? I mean, they have gone through a bit of sacrifice, but they're thinking, (coughs) they're thinking, oh, in the end, it's all going to be worth it. When Jesus takes the throne, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be marvelous. Honey, don't worry. That vacation you wanted, oh, it's going to happen. Because when Jesus takes the throne, the kingdom is going to be here, and all of the stuff that we have had to go through is going to be great. I mean, they have have positioned themselves so well Uh, They have been Jesus' advisors and and His disciples, and He could not help but be, well, more than advantageous when He comes to take His throne. Maybe it's an extra vacation home on the beach. Maybe it's a couple weeks extra paid vacation. Maybe it's a, a charter plane. I don't know what it was that the disciples were thinking, but they have an idea of what greatness really means. And it comes with position and power. It comes with a, a, a certain sense of I am in charge. I get to wear uh, the in charge hat. I'm going to be the leader. 
and Jesus dials in something else when it comes to talking about greatness. This morning, I I just want to ask three questions. Number one, uh, what is greatness? What is greatness? How is it that we define greatness? What is it? Uh, The second question, what does it look like in my life? If I've defined it, what is it that it looks like? How is it that I go about living out this this bit of greatness that uh, Jesus is talking about? And third, if I can succeed in living out whatever greatness is supposed to be, then what are the results? When When I live toward this definition of greatness, and it's evident in my life, then what are the outcomes? And the text answers each one. So join me, would you please, in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. If you're in your pew Bibles, it's page 735. Give you a moment to go there. Luke 22. The disciples have positioned themselves for greatness. They have had a meal with Jesus as uh, Jesus kind of brings all of these things together for them to try and help them understand the role that they have to play. Uh, The expectation that uh, they would be great is now upon them, and they begin arguing over who's the greatest of the great. Greatness, when we define it, when we answer the question, what is greatness, Jesus says that greatness is like a golf score. The lowest man wins. Greatness is a golf score. The lowest man wins. Look, at, look with me in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules, like the one who serves. Greatness is like a golf score. The lowest man wins. You see, greatness, Jesus says right up front, it it does not go to the biggest bully. You know what a bully is. Maybe you encountered the bully as you were a child on the playground. Maybe you were the bully. That person who was a little bigger than everyone else, who uh, decided that they were going to exercise whatever power that they had uh, to inflict others 
Maybe it was the person who said, hey, I, I need uh, you to give me your 25-cent pudding money. Maybe it was the kid who said, I, I'm, I'm going to hurt you, and I have my friends hurt you. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to control you uh, by by exercising the power that I have over you. Jesus says, hey, this is the normal way. Some people would say it this way. It's a dog-eats-dog world out there. With the implication being, well, if it's a dog-eat-dog world, then uh, we just exercise as much power as we have where we have it so that we don't get eaten. Yet Jesus says that's... Not what greatness is. Greatness is like your golf score. The lowest man wins. The king of the Gentiles lord it over them. They put everybody under their thumb of power and control. And yet that's not supposed to be you. He says something else here. And he says, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. In saying this, Jesus drives at our motive. He's trying to get at the intent of why we do things. You see, in Jesus' day and in ours, uh, there are people who exercise power and control. Uh, they like to make sure that uh, they have everybody's attention that they have uh, their thumb on, on everybody, with everything. And if anything good happens out of it, they want the publicity. They want the newspaper headline. It's the athlete in the stadium that, that, that welcomes the praise of everybody in the stadium. Look at me! Aren't I fantastic? Jesus is saying that this very clearly is how the world goes about defining what greatness really looks like. And he's challenging you and I, and he's challenging the disciples, that when God expects greatness from us, this is not what he's talking about. Notice what he says. He says, Actually, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. Now, how many of you are the youngest? There's a few of you. Now, I'm the oldest, so I just want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what it's like to be the youngest, don't you? You poor things. The youngest doesn't get to go everywhere the oldest does, do they? No. The youngest sometimes has to take a nap when nobody else has to take a nap. The youngest has to deal with the hand-me-downs, don't they, of everybody else. You know what it's like to be the youngest. The youngest in the room oftentimes doesn't get the attention that maybe the oldest does because the oldest is, uh, well, according to their birth order, they are being the oldest. They want to be the adult. And that leaves just a, a little bit of room, not much at all, for the youngest. Go away. You're a being annoying. 
Well, let's not assume that it was so much different in Jesus' day. This was the lowest position. No one, no one really cared for the youngest. I mean, look at David. He probably had to go through counseling sessions after he, he learned that his dad had not even said that he was around. And yet Jesus says, in defining greatness for us, that you ought to be like the youngest. Like you ought to be the lowest. That you ought to welcome yourself into a role where other people don't really pay attention to you or welcome you. You're not the benefactor of all that happens. You're to be the youngest. And he doesn't just simply stop at you're to be the youngest. He moves forward and he says, and the one who rules like the one who serves. That perhaps in defining greatness and being the low man or woman on the totem pole, that you would welcome the role of Cinderella forever. That you would be the administrative assistant And you, instead of aspiring to try and have the office of your boss, you would always recognize and welcome, I will serve first. When when they get first class, I will accept coach. When we go to a conference uh, and they stay at the Hilton, I will be okay with Super 8. Because I know what Jesus is talking about when He talks about greatness. The greatest and greatness is our golf score. The lowest one wins. Greatness is humility. Uh, Greatness is is where I don't work to try and get people to understand me, but I will seek to understand them first. It's humility. Not thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less. What is greatness? Greatness. Greatness is the willingness to serve and be young and step into that intentionally. And what if, what if we as a a church were to begin to live up to or down to that definition of greatness? What would begin to happen in our life, in the lives of others, in our church, in our community, if we were to begin to to live to that kind of, of definition to greatness and say, Lord, I recognize that You expect greatness from me and I will live to serve. You see, Jesus becomes the example of the kind of service that is expected for those who desire to live toward greatness. Look with me, would you, in verse 27? Uh, Jesus puts the hammer on the nail. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? 
duh, Jesus. Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus becomes the living example of exactly what this kind of greatness is to look like. He says, will you serve in your life like I did in mine? Now, perhaps in order to understand all of this, we have to have a high view of Jesus. We have to be willing to say of Jesus, He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. Uh, There has never been a time in Jesus' existence when He was not equal with God. He has always been equal with God, always will be equal with God, and one day He is going to come back. He was there at the very beginning in all of creation, helping create, and He will be there in the end. He is eternal and forever. And when we get this grand view of who Jesus is, when He says, but I am one among you who serves, that's shocking. And we go, wow. The one who is supremely powerful, full, full, for, for, something. The one who is supreme. Let's just leave it there. The one who is supreme over all says, I will stoop down to greatness. I will serve. What will you, your life look like when you begin to live to the role of greatness that God has in store for you? What will it look like when you intentionally begin to step into a role of greatness that is different than perhaps you've ever defined greatness before in your life? In major sporting events, when rookies are drafted, whether it's baseball or football or basketball, many of these young men come and they they begin to make millions and millions of dollars right off the bat, and there there seems to be this um, initiation for many of those players. It's not uncommon to hear on the news that one of those players, uh, the whole team goes to a dinner and leaves the check to the rookie. It's not uncommon that uh, the rookie would be made to carry all of the luggage of everybody else. And yet Jesus is reversing course. He's saying, you're a superstar. You play on God's team. If you want to show that you're the greatest, you pick up the tab. You want to show that you're the greatest, you pick up the bags of the rookies and show them who really leads. I wonder, students, those of you who are engaged in in athletics, if there's a lesson here to be learned. Maybe you are the greatest player on your team. Maybe you're fantastic. You're a wonderful athlete. But perhaps you need to learn what greatness looks like as you play it on your team. Uh, Maybe instead of when you hit the home run or you hit the big shot, 
Instead of turning and pounding your chest, you would give credit first to the Lord and to your teammates and to your coaches and to those who have spent hours practicing with you. Perhaps you would redefine and live out greatness on your own court. I wonder what this kind of greatness would look like in our marriages. Uh, What if we redefine greatness the way Jesus does in our marriages on a day-to-day basis? What if we began to think about our spouse and what they like and what they enjoy, uh, what they need, and we began to serve them, and we, (coughs) excuse me, and we got into a duel with our spouse on who can serve more? What if we decided that we would be intentional about that kind of living out greatness? Can you imagine, wives? Your husband had a few moments. He saw the dirty dishes on the counter. And this time, instead of just going, I don't want to. I don't have time to. He said, I'm, I'm going to take those dishes and put them in the dishwasher. I'm going I'm to soap it up and I'm going to take 10 or 15 minutes and I'm, I'm going to do the dishes. Let me just say, I know what my wife would say. Uh, what, what ha- would happen, gentlemen, in your marriages if, if you knew that she had a really busy day and, and she had an appointment the next morning and you knew she was low on gas and you thought, hey, you know, I'm just going to go. I'm going to fill up the gas tank for her and bring it back and they'll all be ready. What would happen to your marriages? What would happen to those relationships if you, if you said, I'm going to live to that level of greatness. I'm not going to exercise any power or control. I'm going to serve first and try and live like Jesus. What would happen in your jobs? What would happen in your workplace if you said, you know what? It's not my responsibility to be here on this day. I may have to come in on a day that that I should have off. But my coworker, they well, they need some help. And they don't love Jesus. In fact, they don't like me very much, but I know that they could use a hand. So I'm going to suck it up, and I'm going to go in, and I'm, I'm going to serve. And I'm not going to serve with the attitude of like, thanks a lot, I'm here today. No, I'm going to serve with the attitude of, you know what, I am here because I have a role to play in the kingdom of God, and He expects greatness out of me, and I'm going to live to the kind of greatness that I know He expects from me. Because he has set me free to do it. Will you serve? Jesus said, but I, I came to serve. Not lorded over anybody. But I am among you as one who serves. And can I tell you that this isn't going to be easy? I mean, maybe you're sitting here thinking, that sounds like a really good idea. My husband should really do that. 
But can I tell you, all of us, this isn't easy. Opportunities to serve in a way that, that shows God uh, that we are, are, are ascribing to His definition of greatness, they don't fall from the sky. It's not like one day someone is going to send a letter saying, hey, would you please demonstrate greatness in this way? No, this is where you have to use your imagination as people who really live in this world uh, to go about practicing greatness. And you have to be intentional about saying, I know that this may not even be convenient for me, uh, but because of the role that God is expecting me to play, I am going to live toward greatness. And I'm going to do it right now. It's going to start today. What is greatness? Greatness is your golf score. It's the lowest score wins. How do I live it out? I live it out every single day as I seek to serve others intentionally. Walking in and stepping into people's lives so that I have an opportunity to serve them. But what are the outcomes what are the results if, if you and I decide, hey, I'm going to live this out. For those of us that desire that, look at what Jesus says next. Look at verse 28. He says, you are those who stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred on me, one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel." greatness, when we're able to live toward the level and definition of greatness that Jesus has defined in service, He says there is a kingdom eternal kind of reward. There's a kingdom eternal kind of result and outcome for those that desire that kind of greatness. You see, what is it that the disciples have wanted all along? They've wanted a kingdom, haven't they? They've wanted a place. They've wanted to sit in the positions of greatness where Jesus will rule. Isn't that what Jesus is giving them here? Jesus actually is looking beyond them and He's looking eternally and He's saying... <coughs> If you really want what I have for you, then you will go about living out greatness and I will give you exactly what it is that your hearts have desired in a way that you couldn't possibly imagine. He says, I will give you the kingdom. I will give you a kingdom in heaven like one that you could not imagine on earth. And it will be yours. And he ties this so well together. He says, I will confer upon you. I looked up this word. What is he talking about? What is he talking about when he says, I confer on you? Every time this word is used, almost every time. Almost every time Jesus uses this word. It's a word of him saying, I want to make a deal with you. I want to make a covenant relationship with you. I want to sign on the dotted line that when you live greatness like this and you serve, I am going to make sure you understand that my handwriting is all over this and I'm going to give you the kingdom. And the position 
that you think you want now, I will give you, and you will eat with me at my table, and you will get to sit in seats of honor and authority. Now, there are some people that say that uh, the disciples here are actually going to be judging others. I'm not sure if that's the case. But to be truthful, I don't know. What I do seem to know here is that Jesus is painting a picture of the kind of outcome that exists for disciples who will accept the role God has them playing when it comes to being great. And so our challenge is to live out that greatness. To say, I will serve. To say, I recognize what God has coming. God expects you to be great. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I I pray that all of us in this room will accept the challenge for you, from you, to be great. That we will live toward the expectation in all we say and do to live out great lives. Lord, will you help us redefine greatness? Lord, I pray that, that you will help us when temptation comes that we would we would uh, skewer greatness to be more about us than more about You. Lord, help us to live out greatness. Help us to serve. And help us live in anticipation of what You have in store for us. We love You. In Jesus' name, amen.